Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. And the finish at the near post from Lucas Paqueta. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. The ex-delivery again. Duzzi's header. He's a clinical finisher. Arkadiusz Mili. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. A Dolberg. Oh, Benyera. Beautifully done. Sensational. Hello and welcome along to Le Bourge, the official Ligue 1 Uber Eats podcast. Coming up this week, we ask which team is the happier after Marseille and Paris Saint-Germain registered a stalemate in the first classique of the season. Should Lyon have appointed Christophe Galtier in the summer and are Saint-Étienne destined for the drop? With me to answer those big probing questions... Uh, I'm delighted to welcome David Crossan onto the pod. How are you, Dave? Very well, thanks, Matt. And yourself? Very well. Dave's got a big role to play in, in this week's pod because he was on a couple of those commentary games. He was on the incredible game between Nice and Lyon and the uh, interesting game, let's say, between Saint-Étienne and Angers. Um, we're going to start by talking about Le Classique. So I'll introduce uh, Robbie Thompson because I'm sure he'll have some views um, that won't necessarily... Uh, tally with mine but how, how are you Robbie? I'm very well Matt I, I thought when you introduced Dave you were going to say he had to be the, the 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 umpire the referee in between the two of us as we as we talk uh classique so maybe that still will be the case as well, well as as well as talking about his expert I'm, I'm here in the VAR room I, I'll check everything. <laughs> VAR was busy VAR was busy uh last night on on Sunday night Speaking for myself, I mean, I'm I'm entirely neutral. I'm a I'm a journalist who is a very professional, and I think I was uh, during during the commentary. Let's hear a, a bit of commentary from what happened at the Orange Velodrome. It was raucous. It was very very noisy. Uh, here's what happened when the action started. Well played by Nuno Mendes. Touched on by Di Maria. This is Neymar. Big chance, and it's it. It's been turned into his own net by Luan Perez. Neymar miscued the shot, but Paris Saint-Germain have taken the lead here at the Velodrome. Are we checking uh, for offside? It, it looked as though Neymar was on. There is going to be a check. Now, it's offside. No goal. The goal has been ruled out for offside. It looked tight. I have to say I thought Neymar was just on when Di Maria... Dinked it through, but uh, the VAR officials have deemed otherwise. Camera, good ball. Paul Lirola now. Lirola for Milik! And it's Marseille! Who have taken the lead, and this one should stand. Arcadius Milik sends the velodrome wild. And Pochettino, who thought his team were 1-0 up, and now 1-0 down with Getting a check again. Was Lirola close to being offside or was he offside? Oh, we're going to... It's going to be ruled out again. There was an offside. Unbelievable. It's still nil-nil. Yeah, Lirola's off. And again, it is absolutely marginal. Now Marseille can break. Payet. Good ball from Payet. Real possibilities. Cheng is under. Getting in behind Hakimi, who's fouled him. No, it's a handball from under, according to Benoit Bastia. 
Well, at first viewing, it looked like Hakimir pushed Cengiz under. He was the last man. Well, that's, yeah, of course, it's a handball afterwards, but is that not a foul? Well, he is going to overturn his decision. Free kick to Marseille. What will the card be? It is a red card. Ashraf Hakimi sent off. He was the last man. He has taken Cengiz under down and the referee had the good sense to look at the pictures and see that he had made a mistake initially. And Paris Saint-Germain have more than half an hour to play with 10 men. The 101st Classique is going to finish in a stalemate. The referee blows the 10 men of Paris Saint-Germain, avoid defeat and an absorbing encounter finishes without a goal despite Dimitri Payet's best efforts despite Kylian Mbappe's threat yes so you may have recognized my voice it was uh, it was me commentating uh, Marseille nil Paris Saint-Germain nil which uh, i have to say is a bit of a disappointing scoreline i found the game very very absorbing very interesting um maybe you know it, it didn't quite live up to the hype simply because there weren't the goals and perhaps you know, we were talking about this gung-ho uh, Marseille under Sampaoli. Although he did pick an attacking team, they 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 didn't play crazily. I mean, I think Sampaoli, Robbie, I don't know if you agree with this. I think he probably recognised that it would be too easy for PSG if, if Marseille overcommitted. And I thought Marseille worked really well as a team to contain uh, Pochettino's four, four attackers. And um, yeah, they they had the chance. They had a big chance to win the game. They had half an hour against PSG with 10 men following that sending off uh, for Hakimi. So that's why, you know, at the beginning of the pod, I asked the question, which team, which of the two teams uh, are the happiest? Robbie, PSG happy with the draw, I would say. Um, I'm not sure, Matt. I don't know if really either side is happy coming out of that. I think it was more like 40 minutes or certainly closer to 40 minutes against 10 men rather than half an hour, by the way, as well. I think it was 56th minute plus five minutes of stoppage time. So we're, we're getting close to 40 minutes against the 10 men of, of PSG. Um, I thought you're probably right when you say we just missed the goals. Because I think if, if Milik had scored with that header after three minutes, I think the Marseille had a couple of very early chances. Um, the disallowed goals were, were really marginal offside calls, but correct ones. That's what the VAR is there for, to, to rule out those those opportunities. Um, I thought Paris were very good in the first half in terms of preventing Marseille from playing. I don't know if it's Marseille were too cautious, but it was the first time this season we didn't see an attractive, a gung-ho Marseille, as you say. Um, I think in that respect, Marseille will be disappointed with the way they play, playing Rangier more as a a right-back more than anything, um, certainly more than as a traditional central midfielder. Um, And then the red card, yep, red card for... On the on the counter attack for Ashraf Hakimi, not too much doubt about that. Even if the referee somehow seemed to to see it differently on on first appraisal, um, and then we saw Marseille start to 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 see more of the ball to create more chances. Rangier had a fantastic chance with the header, which was probably the best chance of the whole match in the end, along with De La Fuente at the end. But Marseille still needed William Saliba to make a fantastic challenge on on Kylian Mbappe on the counter attack, where you got the feeling when Messi released Mbappe, that perhaps this was going to be a same old story moment for Marseille when they, when they let slip the opportunity and they come out, 
come out on the losing end. But I have a feeling it's, you know, I'm just left a little bit hungry, as the French would say, uh, after this one. It didn't, it didn't really sate me um, in terms of a football match. Maybe it's just the fact that there were goals missing. The atmosphere was fantastic. Um, and, yeah, it, it, a scoreless draw that leaves me a little bit just wanting a little bit more from both sides, not just uh, Marseille as the home side that failed to impress in the first half and Paris that, that didn't do enough to, to win it. There you go. Robbie, just touching on that on that tackle from Saliba, I think it's the first time ever I've seen Kylian Mbappe through on goal and get caught because he, he, he was. He was he he was beyond the Marseille defence and Saliba's tackle was absolutely phenomenal. I mean I thought he had a he had a great game. He was honest enough afterwards to say I took the risk, it was either a red card or, or, or I was gonna get the ball, but you know, he was quick enough and good enough to uh to get the ball and probably you know, I'd say ninety-five percent sure that he that he saved a goal and and, and saved a point for his team. Absolutely, uh, Dave, he is very very quick as well. But I do think, just quickly, that um, if Killian had just managed to get a touch, or if it had just been on a different, if they'd just been on a different step, I think it could have been a red card for Saliba. But it was a perfectly timed challenge. Absolutely. Yeah, I wanted to ask Dave about about Messi and Neymar. I, I, I would say that I thought PSG were good collectively, better, much better than they were against Angers and Leipzig. And I, I thought Marseille would win the midfield battle. But actually, in that first half, PSG really did, to, did dominate. They were right on top possession-wise. And Mbappe was a massive threat going in behind. But overall, you look at the performances of, of Messi and Neymar and you know, Robbie might say it's a bit harsh to, to single them out, but they are the names. They are the guys you, you, you want to shine in these in these matches and i'm 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 struggling a little bit to to not to get the messy hype i know the messy hype but you know he's he's kind of walking through these games dave well messi can do it in the champions league can't he so maybe pochettino just shouldn't pick him for the league and matches of course i'm not being serious it will come for lionel messi in the league what did surprise me in this match actually was how few chances paris saint-germain created because I don't think they've played particularly well this season. They've not been fluent. They're lacking balance. But when they've got those fantastically talented individuals on the pitch, they always create chances and they can create those chances out of nothing. And it's credit to Marseille that they didn't have those chances. And I have to say, I found Messi's header quite amusing. The header that Paulo Lopez tipped <laughs> over. He was quite close to scoring, but you just... As I that think Messi in, found it quite amusing as well. You just didn't think he was ever going to score that though, did you? <laughs> I think didn't he, he scored a good header for Barcelona in the Champions League final against Man United in two thousand and nine. Yeah, absolutely, but yeah. I can't really remember too many headers that Messi has scored. I, I say they'll get there, but are we still going to be saying the same thing in January? Because I, I just don't think it can work. The playing Di Maria with those three, I, I think you've got to play the three and have three in midfield. And Verratti going off—that's always. A blow off injured mm-hmm. before half time. Then you lose that technique in the middle of the park, and they might end up doing the double this year, the Champions League and league and double, without ever being totally fluent because that's the quality that they have. I think whenever you lose Marco Verratti, it's a huge blow. Perhaps more of a, a blow, m- maybe than with all due respect to Ashraf Hakimi, but in terms of the team performance and the. The formation, and everything. I think losing Verratti was a, a blow, at least the equal of of the red card. To be honest, he was he's just getting through a mountain of work in the in the middle of the park, and he is so important as the link man between the defence and attack, which otherwise 
they lack. I think there's a, a but, Matt. What did you make of the the moment where the sending off and Pochettino had to choose a player to to take off to to just rebalance the defence and bring on Tilo Kera? And you just had this this overwhelming feeling that it was always going to be Angel Di Maria, didn't you? Without looking at the performance of yeah. of what you'd seen so yeah, far, think- and that. That raises questions, I think, for how Pochettino is is going to deal and manage with this side. Yeah, I think it's difficult for Pochettino. I think there's absolutely no doubt about it. He's walking on eggshells as far as Messi, Neymar and Mbappe are, are, are concerned. And there was an inevitability, you're right, even though watching the game... I thought Di Maria was the excellent. obvious choice... Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. The obvious choice would have been Neymar for me. Mm. Was Di Maria excellent? He, he, yeah, he was good. He was good, and uh, his his ball through for that for the for the Neymar goal or the own goal, as it as it would have been, Luan Perez was a was a brilliant, quick ball through, and yeah, he he he, he was causing problems. And you know, we're not talking about a young um, a young talent. You know, this is a guy who's played more than a hundred times for Argentina. Um, he's Messi's mate. I'm not saying Di Maria is going to cause problems in, in in the dressing room, but it's 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 tough. It's tough for Pochettino. It's 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 tough uh, to have all these incredible players. But, um, but who can you take look, off? Getting... It's honestly getting to the point where well Neymar, Neymar, no? Yeah, well he did. Neymar did come off with 15 minutes to or 10 minutes left to play, and he had this sort of wry smile on his face as though but he he wasn't so so impressed. It's to tell it's to tell all three of them that it's going to be fair but almost on rotation, that they're going to have yeah. to come off. And then as long as no one's getting special treatment, what can you say? You, you've got but then to... the coach just has to say, look, guys, for, for everyone, because you can't take off a Marquinhos, you can't take off a, a Verratti. You've got these players that, uh, that have a certain status. And honestly, Rob, you, you, you can't take... You can't, I think most coaches in the world can't take off Messi. You throw yeah, into the mix absolutely. as well the fact that, that, that Poch is an Argentinian. If you've ever heard him talking about Messi, you know, this is a god. This is an absolute god, perhaps the greatest player ever to have played the game. For, for an Argentinian... Um, you know, you're almost in awe of this figure. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah Poch did... He, he, he did take him off once, but it's not easy... Uh, I, I want to talk about Marseille just a, a little bit more because I think what the real takeaway from this game is for me that Marseille competed and that Marseille, because we've seen in the last decade, uh, Marseille have gone into these classics with high hopes, particularly at, at, at the Velodrome. And I can remember one game where the atmosphere was unbelievable. And in the first sort of five or 10 minutes, Latan scored, somebody else scored. And it was just, you know, it just wasn't a game. This was a contest. And I think Marseille can take a lot of heart from that. It wasn't perhaps the attacking, uh, flowing performance that, that we hoped for, or that Marseille, not, not we, but that, <laughs> yeah, as a neutral, we hoped for. Um, but, 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 Careful, you know, Matt. Dave. Almost gave, gave the game away there, didn't <laughs> I we? Almost gave the game away. <laughs> I said the, the, the score that I wouldn't have predicted was nil-nil. And Marseille have had two nil-nils in the space of, Four days there with the the good result that they got against Lazio in the week as well. I think um, Paulo Lopez had a, a, another good game and he's justifying San Paoli's decision to replace Stev Mondonda, the player who's played more games for Marseille than anyone else in history. And that was a, a bold decision to relegate Mondonda to the bench. But while Lopez keeps performing like that, I'm, he's going to stay in the team. Um, well, we saw Andre Villas-Boas' teams. There was that game at the Parc des Princes where they went all guns blazing for the first 10 minutes and then just got picked off. So mm-hmm. uh, we, we have 
this view from outside that Sampaoli is only ever going to play one way. He's always going to attack and stick to his principles no matter what. Uh, he showed against Paris Saint-Germain that he has got a more pragmatic side to his nature, uh, playing Paul Lirola out on in that wide role uh, in midfield. Um, showed that he was trying. He was concerned about the left-hand side for Paris Saint-Germain, even if they actually did have a fair bit of joy down that side as well. Uh, so... I think, yeah, we do have to reappraise uh, what Sam Pauli is about, that he can adapt uh, to these games, like three draws in a row in the Europa League, two nil-nils in the space of four days. Marseille are going to be contenders. They should qualify for the Champions League the way they're going. PSG's lead at the top has been slashed to seven points after Lens uh, defeated uh, Metz by four goals to one. Another terrific result for Franck Ez's team. Um Marseille have the opportunity to go second. They play Nice on Wednesday night. Nice also have the opportunity to go second. That game being played behind closed doors in Troyes. It's a, a rescheduled game following the uh, the one that was abandoned in Nice earlier in the season. And I, I just want to say, because the game again uh, last night was marred by some incidents with, with supporters throwing uh, objects on. Uh, PSG players taking corners and also one supporter who invaded the pitch. And I, I just want to say well done to Dimitri Payet, again, um, not just for his behaviour during the game, trying to calm things down, but afterwards condemning those those supporters and saying, you know, we, we did everything to warn them, we t- did everything to tell them to behave. And he said, for me, these are not Olympique de Marseille supporters. And I, I think that's a really strong, strong take. And, you know, it shows... It shows to these people that what they're doing is wrong. It's not helpful to Marseille, and they're not and they're not Marseille fans. Um, so you know, I was going to say fingers crossed everything goes well on on Wednesday, but I'm sure it will because there are no fans who who are going to be there. But fingers crossed, rescheduled and relocated that match just to to take no chances whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, it's, it's, Matt, it's, it's, it's it's a great shame because it's such a big game, such a good yeah, game, absolutely. Nice Marseille. I, if I can just say. Uh, and not not to speak in defence of what is of of what we shouldn't see on a football pitch, but but throwing little scrunched up bits of paper uh, on onto the pitch, it's different to throwing a flare or throwing a, a full bottle of, of of something or lighters or coins. I mean, I don't think we should it's overreact not good, either. It's not Everyone's good though, Robbie, very much to throw paper. No, I know it's not. It's 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 not good, but it's not the end of the world either. It's just throwing a bit of paper, and it you know you, it's that fine line. Look, and I'm not condoning throwing things on the on the football pitch. But if that could cost Marseille a point in the standings because they have this suspended sentence of a one point hanging over their heads, you know, I think that would be a little bit too much. However, a player, a, a, a fan running onto the pitch in the middle of the game, stopping already, stopping a Paris Saint-Germain attack, but also just running straight up to Lionel Messi and getting to him as a Marseille fan, why wasn't he running to Payet and asking Payet for his shirt? That's what yeah, I. Good question. That's I saw what some, I don't I saw understand. Some comments on, I saw some comments on, on social media that he was running faster than the Marseille defenders, but I don't think we want to glorify the, uh, the uh, the very foolish. No, no, but that was of, that was very that dangerous, person. and there that is a far more dangerous breach of security in a stadium, in a football stadium, especially when you know the the history between the two sides and what we've seen in in the last few weeks. But throwing paper on the pitch, look, it's it's not that big a deal. I'm sorry. Yeah, I said well done to Payet. Um, well done. I, I, I want to say as well, well done to Mbappe and, and Messi, who on a few occasions went over to take the corner 
and it was all getting a bit tense. You were thinking, uh, you know, are we going to get a delay? And and they took it quickly. You know, they could have they could have sort of milked it and you know waited to see if there were going to be problems. But you know, I thought it was good. I thought it was good to see them just try and get on with the game. And you know, fortunately, yeah. we are mainly talking about football um, today, and we, we've we've had some cracking games this season, and we had a wonderful game earlier. In the day on on Sunday, it was the game between Nice and Lyon, two of the contenders, two two teams hoping to qualify for the Champions League this season. David Crossan had the uh, the pleasure of commentating what turned out to be a, a wonderful game. Boateng, excellent ball by Jerome Boateng for Toko Ikambi. It's Benitez's best save, but Toko Ikambi follows up to score. He always scores against Nice. That's his seventh goal against Les Eglon. They're his favourite prey in the top flight. Kakare. Good disguise on that ball. It's Awa. And Awa makes it 2-0. Nice threatened to equalise at one end. But Usim Awa, having missed a chance right at the start of the second half, has doubled the visitors' advantage. And they deserve it on the balance of play of the second half. Turan. Good control. The chance for Delore in the middle, perhaps, instead going all the way is Yusuf Atal. The substitute gets a goal back for Nice with a terrific finish. Nice have been lacking inspiration throughout the second half, but Atal gives them hope with his first goal of the season. That was vintage Yusuf Atal. Nice playing with far greater enterprise now, and they have a penalty. They have a penalty for the foul on Atal. Lengthy hold-up, testing Andy Delors' nerve. Delors against Lopez, and Delors scores from 2-0 down. Nice have pulled this game back to 2-2. Clever touch, chance, it is 3-2, unbelievable. Evan Gesson has surely scored the winner for Nice in the most remarkable turnaround that will see Christophe Galtier's side go to provisional second in the table. Jubilance all around the ground. Evan Gesson with his first league and goal. Well, David, what a finale. What a, a, a rallying uh, finish from Nice. Three goals in the last 10 minutes. A 3-2 victory that I, I would guess you didn't see coming, certainly 80 minutes into the game. Not at all. Uh, nice had been outplayed by Lyon and had been reduced basically to pot shots from range through Andy Delors especially and also Kasper Dolberg. But then Lyon just fell apart. And I think Peter Bosch has to take a lot of the responsibility for this because... Lyon had been involved in a Europa League game three days earlier, which they'd won 4-3 at Sparta Prague. He made four changes from that team, but he didn't make any substitutions until the 88th minute, which was after Cadueri had been sent off. And Cadueri was making his first league start of the season, having only made his first start in all competitions at Sparta Prague, where he played a half. And he was visibly tiring. And he lunged into Melvin Bard, got himself sent off, and that gave Nice even more of a lift as they scored the, the late goals that they needed to turn things around. And you just wonder why Bosch didn't make substitutions. Galtier did. He brought on Atal, who played as well as I've seen him for a long time, because since his injury, Yusuf Atal just hasn't been the same player for me. But that was back to the Atal that we saw 
in 2018-2019. A great goal, the nutmeg on Emerson to win the penalty. And another sub, Gesson, coming on and scoring his first league and goal for the winner. And a very different complexion on the analysis uh, after the 95 minutes than after 80 minutes. Because I've seen Boateng is getting a hammering in the press, whereas had he stopped the game at 80 minutes, I'd have said he played a glorious long ball for Tokue Kombi's opener. He looked pretty calm. Uh, Okay, at times he stood off the Nice attackers and invited them to shoot when he should probably have been getting tighter. But the last 10 minutes totally changed things. And Lyon have actually dropped eight points after the 80th minute this season, which is just too many. Yeah, it's a 90-minute game, uh, Dave, and I think Jerome Boateng knows that better than most. We we, we got an email in from Liam Wraith. Uh, if you if you do want to contact us, uh, league1podcast at gmail.com. Uh, Liam said, great work on the pods recently. Thank you very much, Liam. I'd like to ask you about Leon's discipline. Do you think this is an issue for Peter Boss with six red cards in 14 games and on more than one occasion leads being thrown away? It worries me as a fan, that such problems can become bigger. Liam says he's happy with Peter Boss, but I want to hear your perspective. Robbie, I, I, I read a stat, 16 points from 11 games. It's Leon's worst start since Jacques Santini was in charge in, in 2000. Uh, what do you think about, about Liam's points? Uh, a question of red cards, I think, generally means that that the team is not feeling very calm and confident and that they're, they're, they're a little perturbing factors perhaps somewhere not necessarily within the squad but things are things are not all well Dave said it was Katawiri's first start of the season he obviously has been you know chomping at the bit and desperate to get going and perhaps that was a little bit too much from him and that explains that one but it's it's for me it's a lack of serenity a lack of confidence in the side but I think it I think it will come I like what I've seen from Peter Bosch, I think if you're talking about 16 points from 11 games being a disastrous start, they, they really did have a disastrous, disastrous start to the season as well. Um, and they've turned, they are starting to turn things around. And I think we've seen in the mix of European football as well is starting to, to, to yeah, see them I'm, develop a, a bit of play, a bit of style to their game. I think, I think Robbie's totally right. They should have seen out that game and taken the win, which would have made it 11 points yeah. from their last five games in the league to go with a 100% record in the Europa League. But on the red card points, uh, to, to answer Liam, I think w- what Bosch demands of his players, it's a very physically demanding style, uh, particularly if you are playing three games in a week. And when you're physically tired, you start to make bad decisions and it can affect mm. your emotions as well. And I, I don't think Kadawari, if if that's not his first start and he's not feeling tired, he doesn't jump in like that on yeah. Melvin Barr. Yeah, that, that's absolutely. just not the sort of thing that he does. And I, I know in football more and more nowadays, you, you talk about the red zone. Are the players in that red zone? That can, That's physical. And it also leads into the emotional side of the game and the mental side of the game. And... Yeah, you have to say that, that Bosch and his coaching staff have to keep a closer eye on that and make changes earlier if they think that someone's risking uh, getting a red card. Uh, Dave, can I ask you about, about Nice? Uh, I noticed um, Calvin Stengs wasn't in the squad. Pablo Rosario was on the bench. Um, Justin Cliver is out injured. You know, the three Dutch signings, we talked about the Dutch revolution. Mm. Um, Stengs, Stengs has been disappointing so far when he's played. Cliver... I think we can say likewise um 
Is everything okay at Nice? They're third in the league. Uh, they could go second on Wednesday night, but you know, Galtier's he's he's he's, he's got some issues, hasn't he, to, to resolve? He does, but what Galtier does so well is let's refer back to that conversation we were having about Paris Saint-Germain. Galtier will do nobody any favours. They all had a hard week after the defeat that they had against Troyes the previous weekend. Galtier was furious. He mm. promised changes. He made changes. And if you don't play the, the way Galtier wants you to play, then you won't be in the team. Uh, we saw Lamina wasn't happy about being taken off. Uh, Galtier just told him to get on with it. You're, you're coming off. Uh, in terms of his coaching, I, I, I was surprised that he left Delors and Dolberg on together when he made his first change. I thought he might have moved Guiri centrally and got more mobility into the team that way by bringing on Claude Maurice down the left. But it worked for Galtier. You could see from his reaction. That was almost the reaction that he was having when Lille were winning the games late last season on their way to the title. Uh, it's the, the biggest reaction I've seen from him uh, since he's been at Nice. I mean, even though they conceded two to Lyon, they're still not conceding many goals. That's the way Galtier sets his teams up. They're in a good position. Whether Stengs, Clivert and Rosario will contribute more as the season goes on or not, or whether they're just going to be simple squad players, to be honest, for me, it doesn't really matter. They're, they're going to do well. Uh, Robbie, the uh, the original question at the top of the pod, should Leon have gone all out for Christophe Galtier in the summer? I think they, Quick answer. I think they did, Matt. I think they did and they couldn't get him because uh, Nice... And he and he showed it, and I think that's why that we saw that reaction from him at the full time whistle is because he feels vindicated that he made the right choice in 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 going to going to OGC Nice, and their project is one that's that's going places. I think um, I just had my two ten cents worth ten two two. I'll go for ten ten cents quickly worth about um, the the Nice squad. They have a nice squad, and it's very even. And I've been impressed by Pablo Rosario so far. Um, except for that last weekend, that that defeat to Troyes, um, Dave was right to point out that Galtier was absolutely furious. But I think they've got a they've got a good squad, and the fact that you can bring on someone like Atal, who hasn't necessarily been performing, and you you say that you have to, he has to lift his game and go to the next level, and he does that. Mario Lamina had a had a difficult international break as well, where his family was was uh, home jacked, and I think that had a, a bearing on last week's performance as well. So. Galtier is basically having to manage things on and off the pitch as well. I think he's doing that. I think he's got a squad. And and ultimately, let's not forget if Peter Bosch is a, a new coach who's doing things at Lyon, the same goes for Christophe Galtier at Nice. And give him a little bit of time. And the, those shows of that show of emotion when at full time or even when the third goal was scored, when he ran on and celebrated with his players, I think it's... Galtier is a clever coach as well. He's doing that on purpose as well. He knows what he can allow himself to do. And uh, I, I think he, he feels he made the right choice and, and Nice are going places. OK, some of the uh, other results from the weekend involving the contenders for European football. Lille won, Brest won. Uh, a really disappointing draw for Jocelyn Gorvin, ex-team, who took the lead. Lovely goal from Jonathan David. But, uh, but Brest hit back, got a point. Uh, Rennes won, Strasbourg nil. Uh, super result for Ren. Three wins in a row uh, for them in Ligue 1. Five in all competitions. Naif Aguerd got a, a late goal. They're level on points with Marseille now, joint joint fourth. Um, Monaco three, Montpellier one. Really good win uh, for, for Monaco. Very encouraging as well that Kevin Volland and uh, Wissam Benyeda 
were both among the goals because that's been a, an issue for Niko Kovac this season. Uh, before we talk about our last um, featured match involving Saint-Étienne and uh, Angers, it's time for our Deja Who. Um, I know this gets everybody very excited. Lots of interaction from our listeners. If you think you know the answer, um, league1podcast at gmail.com or use the hashtag on Twitter, Deja Who. Last week's clue, it was this. I made 470 league one appearances in a career that went from 1994 to 2012. I only ever played in France, featuring for no fewer than seven top flight clubs. And I count Johan Miku, Didier Drogba, Alexis Romau and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang among my ex-teammates. I defeated my former mentor this season. The answer, the former Marseille and uh, Toulouse and Saint-Étienne midfielder Laurent Batless. Correct answers, James Cathy, Davor, Habib Barr, Michel Mass, Guy Davis, Paul Thomas Clay, Thomas DeRoy and Jeremy Magan. Well done to everybody. Uh, Robbie and, and Dave, did you get that one? And could you just tell me when the clue I defeated my former mentor this season, Who who's that exactly? Robbie, Dave? I'm trying to think. Uh, who did, the, who did a, a very good defeat. question. Uh, Lauren Batles was on Saint-Étienne's coaching staff for a while. So I'm going to say that Trois beat Nice and uh, so he beat Christophe Galtier. There you go. Very topical okay, we'll as well. To, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to check that one with producer Ian. Uh, time for this week's clue. I just wanted to, uh, having having mentioned last week when that settle clue down, was Rob, settle down when that clue was read out, that wasn't an internet stutter. That was just me uh, <laughs> <laughs> trying to trying to jump in. Um, I was going to say, Lauren Butless. We talked about it last week, and I said he scored uh, without trying to give too much away. A match when I was at the Parc des Princes where. It was Fabrice Fiorez's return to the Parc des Princes with Marseille. And Laurent Butler scored a fantastic goal for Marseille in that match, but uh, was just overshadowed by one of the most intimidating, vociferous uh, crowds I have ever been in. And, uh, and it was a spectacular night in Paris Saint-Germain versus Marseille. And it really just showed how much that rivalry meant and there when players went between clubs it was a it was and I'm not saying it was the good old days but it was a different a different time to now when perhaps when things are even more sanitized it was a spectacular night and Lauren Butler's played his part in that game and Lauren Butler's is I think a very good young coach got Trois up to the first division just looking at who Trois have beaten they have beaten Nice they've beaten Metz do you think um, Frederick Antonetti might be his mentor? No, I'm going Christophe Galtier. I, I, I went to interview Christophe Galtier at Saint-Étienne and uh, Saint-Étienne's press officer said, do you recognise that bloke over there? And I said, yeah, it's Laurent Batles. I think he was a bit surprised. So I, I'm going with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Anyway, this week's Deja Who. Uh, if you think you know the answer, email us league1podcast at gmail.com or use the hashtag LeBourgeur or even the hashtag Deja Who on Twitter. We will find your answers. Here we go. I spent most of my career in my native country bar a two-year spell in Spain and a three-year spell in France where I played for just one club. A stylish midfielder, I never really fulfilled my potential in Ligue 1, but I did help the club win a Coupe de France in the first decade of the millennium. At my French club, I was presented to the press on the same day as a future Ballon d'Or winner. Well, there we go. Another conundrum from our producer, Ian Holyman. League1podcast at gmail.com if you think you know 
the answer or use the hashtag Deja Who on Twitter. Because that, that's, that's a tough one, but it should. You sh- if you follow the clues and use logic, you should be able to work it out with the Ballon d'Or clue, I guess. But not easy. Look, I... I, I, I wouldn't put it past our listeners. They're very, very good. And I'm sure they want to know what's going on at the moment at uh, at Saint-Étienne. We all want to know. Um, they were at home against Angers on uh, on Friday night. David Cross, and he's had a busy weekend. He commentated this one at the Stade Drofwagishat. Garni dummies, Buffal takes. Chance goal. Ismail Traore, the Angers captain. It has been one-way traffic with Saint-Étienne by far the more dangerous side. But it is the visitors who take the lead. Out for it comes Bernadonian. He launches the counter with the bowl out. And Angers have the numerical advantage. Fulgini for Cabo. Fulgini, great first touch by Fulgini. And what a finish by Angelo Fulgini. One end to the other. Saint-Étienne threatening from a free kick. And Fulgini scoring for the second consecutive game. At the other end, he gave Angers the lead at Paris Saint-Germain last week. He might have sealed the three points at the bottom club Saint-Étienne tonight. Wabi Kazri does pull a goal back for Saint-Étienne. How Lever needed that, how Claude Puel needed that. It's Kazri's sixth of the season out of only ten goals that Saint-Étienne have scored in the top flight. Aushish, danger, chance here, it's Gorner, it wasn't a good first touch, a scramble, chance for Nade, Nade equalises, the half-time substitute. What a moment for Nade and for Claude Puel. On the balance of play, Saint-Etienne deserves something from their evening, and Mikel Nade has given it to them. Dave, another dramatic finale. They got a late equaliser against Leon in the derby and then uh, in this, their next home game, um, another even later equaliser and certainly looking at the highlights, an improbable point for, for Saint-Étienne. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to come to the end of the match later. I'm going to start with the beginning or the delayed beginning just to let our listeners know that we're recording this before the LFP meets to decide any potential sanctions against Saint-Étienne because kickoff was delayed for an hour after Saint-Étienne supporters threw flares onto the pitch and at the goal nets. They burnt holes in the goal nets. And thankfully, the match did take place, but uh, an hour late. And we've seen the precedent that was set with uh, Nice being Dr. Point earlier in the season. So for a club that's already bottom of the table, that could complicate their situation even further. Back to the football, they were 2-0 down after an hour and being thoroughly outplayed by Angers. And Claude Puel named a team that had five youth products in it, only two players over the age of 24. He is working with a, a very young squad. Uh, Etienne Green was one of the players who was out to take as well and Zaidi Youssef suspended. Uh, they're overly reliant on Wabi Kazri. That's what it comes down to. Kazri got them going with a, a terrific free kick just past the hour. Um, he scored six goals out of the 11 that they've scored this season. And then, yeah, another emotional finale with the defender, uh, Mikel Nade, who came on for the injured Harold Makudi at half-time, scoring his first league and goal. I don't think it's going to be enough to save Puel, ultimately. He's out of contract at the end of the season, and if you believe 
things written in the press and with Saint-Étienne's financial difficulties they might struggle to find the money to pay him off and that seems to be one of the factors that's kept him in place what he does have is this crucial game coming up against uh, Frederick Antonetti's Mets on Saturday the bottom two meeting in Mets and Saint-Étienne they've got to get that first win of the season and they have to I know People said the international window came at the wrong time for them after the, the emotion and the, the late equaliser against Lyon. That could they have built on that this time? They have to build on that last half hour uh, against Angers and get the win against Metz. Uh, Robbie, Dave says it's you know maybe financially difficult for them to to part ways with Claude Puel, but they need to they need to do what is necessary to keep this club, this famous club, ten time champions of France, in the top flight. And I wonder as well, it's it's. It's also the fact that Puel has this um, all-powerful role, isn't it? And that, you know, everything has been set up around Claude Puel. He's got his men in, in the uh, in the recruitment uh, team. He's got his coaching staff in. It, you know, it's not just a case of replacing a coach, is it? No, and he's also said right from the, the get-go, certainly this season, Claude Puel has, has been making noises that the club have no option but to go with the young players, to... to to blood all these young players through, but it's not working. They're, they're, by all accounts, the club has no money, but it, there's one thing playing young players. I mean, they still have a squad that has bigger names perhaps than a, than a Lorient, who are, who are performing bigger names than a Clermont. Um, when you look at the likes of Boudaboos, even, you know, Hamuma, Buanga, Arno Norda, Aushish on, on the bench, all those players on the bench at, at kickoff. You know they have they have options, and I think Claude Puel has has this problem. Well, not a problem. He's had a fantastic, illustrious coaching career of, of over two decades. But he, when he comes in, he changes everything, and he he has no respect for reputation. Some might say that's a good thing as well. But you have to have some sort of understanding as a coach of your playing squad and what's working. And sometimes I get the feeling with Claude Puel. That he doesn't, he just is not on the same wavelength as his players, and these these guys should be performing better. They're not. And Matt, when you say, "Is it a financial question? Can can they afford to go down?" is another way to look at it. And really, that would just about spell curtains again for this fantastic club. But the fact that they're in that perilous league position seems to be putting off potential buyers as well. Uh, there was the talk of the the Cambodian prince buying the club and he sees them 20th in league and suddenly they're a less attractive proposition so they have to start climbing the table for so many reasons or do you do you try and run the price down wait till they're in the the second division and then and then buy them and hope to turn it around and bring them back up but this is this is talking purely business and financial terms and and you have to draw the line somewhere we're talking about a football club and a football club that has a a great history in the community and represents so much to a working-class town of, of Saint-Étienne. It's like Lens, and we know how much they struggled for years and years with their, their club unable to, to, to stay up in the top flight perennially, perennially, and now maybe the same will befall Saint-Étienne. Yeah, it's quite sad to be talking about Saint-Étienne in these terms, that they could be relegated when you think that, you know, the decade under Christophe Galtier, they really established the club um, as a top-half team, competing for Europe, competing for trophies as well. Um, Dave, I just want to have a, a quick uh, word with you about Angers. We talked about their their excellent setup under Gérald Batik, how they caused PSG problems. Tell, tell us a bit about the uh, the second goal 
that Fulgini scored because it, it was absolutely beautiful. It was. And um, Fulgini has hit form now. He scored at the Parc de Prince. And he, him and Buffal, their, their movement is terrific. And Buffal, uh, he had the assist for Fulgini's goal at the Parc de Prince. Another assist that, uh, for the Traore opener uh, against Angers, um, against Saint-Étienne rather. But the uh, the second goal started with a rollout from Paul Bernardoni. And they saw that Saint-Étienne were struggling to get back after threatening themselves. It was from a Saint-Étienne set piece. And everything was perfect in terms of the movement, in terms of the finish as well. The way Fulgini shrugged off the challenge of Ayman Wefek, the midfielder who Saint-Étienne had left back for this set piece. Uh, he was making his first appearance of the season after injury. Fulgini, who's not the biggest of players, showed his strength and then coolness just to tuck the ball across Stefan Bajic, who was deputising for Etienne Green. And, you know, Angers are going to keep hurting sides. Gerald Baticla is managing Mohamed Ali Cho's game time. Cho was dropped to the bench with Stefan Bauerkin starting, but he, he's got the nucleus. And what he has that um, Claude Puel doesn't have at Saint-Étienne is experience with uh, Thomas Traore and Monso all over 30 in the back line. You've got Pierrick Capel and Thomas Mongani in midfield, some shrewd signings elsewhere. And then Buffal looking like he's enjoying football again. And Fulgini, well, Fulgini, he changed agents a week or 10 days ago. So maybe he'll get a move in January. Angers were trying to move him on in the summer, but the, no one came in with the 15 million euros that they were after. But while they've got Fulgini, Buffal and Cho or Bauerkin operating together, not only are they going to get results, they're going to be entertaining to watch as well. Well, there are some talented players in Liga Eats at the moment. Angelo Fulgini is one of them. Uh, a couple of other really talented players uh, caught my eye playing for Nantes this weekend. Nantes to Clermont 1. Uh, Ludovic Blas and Randel Colomwani. Superb. If you look at Blas's goal, the run and the, the cutback from Colomwani, absolutely superb. And uh, Nantes went up to 5th temporarily they're seventh now but they're, they're doing really well under Comboire Claremont struggling a bit they've slipped down to 14th place the Champagne Derby that Andy Scott wanted to wanted to take in that finished Rouse 1-3-2 really good win for Battles and his team Lorient 1 Bordeaux 1 uh, Bordeaux still can't buy a victory at the moment they had a man sent off in that game as well um that is it. That is it for, for, for round 11, guys. So unless you have something very important to add, I am going to move on to, uh, to, to Bon Voyage. I would just uh, encourage people to have a look at effectivement, as you would say in French, at that Colomwani assist for Ludovic Blas because it is breathtaking. He, couldn't, he shouldn't even be able to see where Blas is when he cuts the ball back into his path. It's brilliant. He is, he is going to be some player, mm-hmm. isn't he? And uh, Nantes, Nantes have got to try and tie him down to a contract. So I, I believe he's out of contract in the summer. Um, and I'm sure there are plenty of clubs watching him. Let's look ahead then. Uh, I mentioned that uh, we've got Nice-Marseille on Wednesday night in that rescheduled game, but no one's going to be allowed to go to that. So we won't, we won't <laughs> travel to that one. Um, but uh, round 12, uh, a little game at the Parc des Princes on Friday night. PSG hosting the champions Lille. Bit of a grudge game. I'm sure PSG will be keen to um, reassert their authority over a, a struggling Lille side. We've got Lyon Lens on Saturday night. That's a that's a cracker. 9 p.m. local time. Clermont Marseille 
uh, rounds up the action on Sunday night. But uh, uh, I'll start with David Crossan. Let's go on a bon voyage. And then David will tell us where he wants to go. Matt, I, I want to go to Lyon. I think that's going to be fascinating with Lancer arriving in second place and off the back of a good win and Lyon off that capitulation against Nice late on and they're going to have to redeem themselves for their coach Peter Bosch and for their supporters. Uh, and more importantly, I think it's going to be a very entertaining game given the way Franck Ez has Lance going and Lyon are always worth watching. So that's where I'm going to go. Seko Fofana, what a player. We don't give him a, a, enough love, the uh, the Lance captain. He's he's just been tremendous again this season. And it's a <clears throat> sorry, it's a tough one for Lee on that, isn't it? Under a bit of pressure, Peter Boss. Good choice, I would say. DC, what about Mr. Thompson? Where where do you want to go? Well, I might uh, go with an obvious choice and also make a little announcement off the back of it because I'll be at the Parc des Princes for my last game in French football for a... Uh, the foreseeable future at any rate, before I uh, hang up the microphone for a little while in France and head back uh, back home, down under, for a, for a spell. So it will be an, a, an emotional one, and fittingly between uh, a Paris Saint-Germain side looking to get one back over the, the former champions, or the reigning, the defending champions, Lille. So looking forward to that one, I am. I'm, I'm in shock at that Bobby. announcement. I, I, Robbie, <laughs> Thompson, Robbie Thompson leaving before Claude Puel. It's unbelievable. <laughs> but Robbie, are, are they going to give you a send off? Are you going to? Can you? Can you like take the ceremonial kick off or something? I, I, I think I will be too busy at that stage. With uh, <laughs> I'll still be working. So no, no, or professional right to the very end. <laughs> oh, it's going to be. It's going to be the most emotional to the testimonial night. match, though, for sure. We'll, we'll yeah, get all the ancien gloire of, of Paris Saint-Germain playing Bernard Lama in goal. Absolutely. Up front. Oh goodness me! Yeah. It's going. No, I was going to say it's going to be the most emotional night since Ray said goodbye to the Parc des Princes faithful and they had that amazing tifo with the Brazilian flag. I want to see a kangaroo tifo <laughs> in the Parc des Princes on Friday night. And hey, try and get a as a mark of respect, as a mark of respect, <laughs> I'm not going to go to any other game. I'm going to go to the Parc des Princes and I'm going to have a minute silence after the game. No, it is sad. It, it, it is sad. Robbie's going, going back to Oz. Um, he did tell me before the pod, um, but he's going to, he's going to be staying very much uh, in tune Absolutely. with everything Ligue 1 Uber Eats. And I'm sure Robbie will be will be joining us on, on, on the podcast, hopefully on a regular basis. Absolutely. I look forward to it. I, I'm not lost to French football. These, these routes are, are, are deep. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Robbie. It's been a pleasure. Uh, as ever, thank you to David Crossan uh, for joining us this week. Dave, you're, 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 not, you're not leaving us? No, you're no, not, I'm not leaving, leaving France? And, and I'll actually be at the Parc de France as well to enjoy <laughs> Robbie's send-off. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. We'll go for a drink. We'll go for a drink afterwards. Thank you very much, guys. Um, thank you to all of our listeners for joining us again this week. We'll be back, of course, next week. You've been listening to Le Bourgeois. We'll see you again very, very soon. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. The delivery again. Doozy's header. He's a clinical finisher. Arkadiusz Milik. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. A goal back. Oh, Benyera. Beautifully done.